Welcome to the Debit This, Credit That podcast with Wheeler Accountants, located in San Jose, California. In this podcast, we discuss how to solve accounting challenges in both your personal life and your business. We take an energetic, tech-savvy approach to solving accounting challenges that steal your focus and your time. Now, on to the show with your tech-savvy accounting experts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Hello and welcome to episode number 18 with Matt Wheeler. Today we're going to talk about tax reform. What the hell is going on? So Matt, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if anyone really knows, but um, <laughs> they have released some information that's been light on details every time they've kind of released anything, but little more has come out recently, and I thought now's our kind of chance to get to the bosom of the matter, get right in, you know, all the way. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. What sort of things have been released? Who is affected? And how does and what should our listeners do? This is going to affect everyone pretty much in the tax code. This is probably the biggest, most sweeping potential change of the tax code since the mid 80s when the major tax overhaul was done then. So this is a really big change. And I guess to backpedal a little bit and give a little bit of background, about a year ago, we had two candidates running for office of president of the United States seemed pretty clear who the likely winner was going to be. I think not a lot of people paid close attention to what Trump's proposals were at the time. They were also very vague, of course. Congress kind of had their own proposals as well, which overlapped a little bit with Trump's, but again, light on facts. And then when the election happens, everyone, especially, you know, in our industry, all of a sudden just went, oh my gosh, we need to take a look at what they were saying, because now this could actually be reality, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, Trump put on this big persona of being like a guy that just gets it done, right? Men of action, you know? So everyone's thinking tax reform is going to happen right away. It's right on the agenda. If someone's top things, you know, get rid of Obamacare, build the wall, do tax reform, you know, the whole thing, right? And not trying to get political on the podcast or anything, but obviously there's been things they've been trying to do. He hasn't been very successful in getting a lot of the major things done that he was talking about and tax forms getting pushed off. And now we're getting near the end of the year and they're kind of putting increased pressure again to do something about tax reform, potentially being retroactive to January 1st. Oh. And so, you know, now we're we're taking a look at some of these proposals. They released a document a couple of weeks ago into September, it was called the Unified Framework for Fixing Our Broken Tax Code. It wow. was like a 10, 11 page document, kind of went through some of the major things that they wanted to do for modifying and you know repairing the tax code, the code, uh, quote unquote. And a lot of it's stuff they'd already talked about previously, but there's a little more detail now. And I thought now, as we're approaching the end of the year here, it'd be a really good time to go over some of the proposals in a little more detail and give our listeners kind of a feel for the things that maybe are more likely to happen, kind of get everybody braced for a potential reform. So what are those things? The Unified Framework for Fixing Our Broken Tax Code is a, a fantastic name, by the way. Uh, whoever came up with that, that doesn't sound very political, but it is quite political. What are the four key principles here, the four big major things that, that they're talking about? The document outlines four key principles for fixing the broken tax code, right? Uh, the first one is to make the tax code fair, simple, and easy to understand. And I can't help but laugh when I read that one because <laughs> yeah. you know that it will never be easy to understand. That's mm -hmm. why I have a job. That's why you know we do what we do. But 
but uh, they want to make it more fair. I think the intent is to simplify things. It is complicated. It is convoluted. Um, I'll be the first person to say I think it's too complicated and that a lot of these provisions probably shouldn't apply to most people, more complicated than most other countries' tax systems. So they want to make it simpler and also fair at the same time. Second key principle, give American workers a pay raise by allowing them to keep more of their hard-earned money. Third principle, Make America the jobs magnet of the world by leveling the playing field for American businesses and workers. And then the fourth one is they want to bring back trillions that are kept offshore back into the U.S. economy. So those are the four key principles. Whether it's going to accomplish that or not, I have no idea. But the tax reform proposals kind of broken out into three major areas, which we can cover today. Mm-hmm. Individual tax reform, corporate or business tax reform, and then a state tax reform. Well, let's jump into individual tax reform. What are they suggesting? So there's a lot of things they're looking at for individual tax reform, a lot of these things have been on the table in the various proposals for the past year plus. One of the first major ones is they want to double the standard deduction. So that's a pretty big change that would affect a huge chunk of taxpayers across the country. Certainly, it's not going to impact everyone. It's not going to impact people that itemize their deductions a lot or that kind of thing because they're already going to do itemized deductions instead of the standard deduction. But, you know, you have a lot of taxpayers that don't have a lot of itemized deductions anymore. Maybe their mortgage interest deduction run out, they're closer to retirement, and they're they're dependent on that standard deduction now. Doubling that makes a big difference. Uh, what we were telling our clients at the end of last year when we heard about this potentially happening is we had clients that were, quote, on the bubble. And the standard deduction now starts at around twelve, around $15,000, okay? And uh, they're going to raise it to around 24000 to 30000 They've thrown around various numbers, but essentially doubling it. So if you were already in that range where you're itemizing your deductions around like fifteen dollars to $20,000, and now you're going to be in the standard deduction and not itemizing anymore if they double it, a lot of those things that are itemized deductions for you now are no longer going to give you any additional tax benefit because you get the standard deduction no matter what. Hmm. So then your mortgage interest, charitable donations, you know, some of those kind of things. If you if you're itemized total 20,000, but now you get the standard of 24,000 or 30,000, you don't get any extra benefit for those deductions anymore. So it helps drive some choices for you. Should I just pay off the mortgage now? Maybe I'm not getting the tax benefit of the mortgage anymore because I get the standard deduction anyway, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have clients who they're taking their required distributions out of their IRAs, their retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. You can take some of your distributions and have them go straight to charity and it comes right off the top of your income, okay? Whereas if you were to take the cash and then donate the cash to a charity, that's an itemized deduction, but you recognize the income up top. We call it above the line, above adjusted gross income. In that scenario, you're not going to get the benefit of the charitable deduction anymore because you're already doing the standard deduction. So why don't you take those donations you're doing and have them go straight from your IRA to the charity now you're taking it right off the top and actually getting benefit. So that's another thing you want to look at if they're going to double the standard deduction is thinking about using that qualified charitable distribution out of your IRA straight to charity. Dear God. Okay. Now I'm terrified to ask you what corporate tax reform is going to be with just everything you just talked about for me as an individual. All we right, have, we have more on individuals, so I'm not even done. I'm oh, not you're supposed to do All right. Keep unpacking there, brother. Let's keep going. All right. So in line with doubling the standard deduction, they're also going to eliminate the personal exemption. Personal exemption you get is around $3,000 a person, including for dependents. Now, this is a negative part of the tax reform. 
But what they've told us is they're going to try and structure it in such a way that no one in like the lower tier brackets pays any more tax than they are currently. They should be better off. So, you know, on the surface, a family of four, for instance, has a personal exemptions around $12,000. They're going to lose that, even though they're going to make up some on the standard deduction potentially. But there's a couple things they're going to add to the tax reform as well to help those kind of people out. But Elimination of personal exemptions is one of the things that they're going to get rid of in line with doubling the standard deduction. And I'll get to the extra things in a second here. Okay. The uh, other major change, they talked about this for a long time, is they want to decrease the number of tax brackets. There's currently seven tax brackets, which is quite a bit. They want to simplify that down to just three tax brackets, a 12% bracket, a 25% bracket, and a 35% bracket. Now, critics of the tax reform are saying this is actually one of those things that just helps the rich get richer. And there is some truth to that. The top rate now is 39.6%. So the top bracket folks would get a decrease down to 35% from 39.6 and their tax rate would go down by 4.6% on their income over that max bracket. The bottom bracket currently is 10%. That would go up to 12%. So it looks bad on the surface, but again, they've made the claim over and over again that no one in the bottom brackets is going to pay any more tax than they are currently. So they're doubling the standard deduction. They're going to try and add some more credits some things they can do to make sure people at the bottom don't end up paying more tax. And they've also left open the door now in the latest unified framework document they released that an additional top rate may apply to the top taxpayers. So 35% may be the top bracket, but they may add some sort of surcharge or surtax on top, which is just a sneaky way of again, raising the top bracket again or or keeping it up there. But the challenge they're facing is they have to pay for it. For the political process, they have to make sure that additional revenue offsets the cuts and that kind of thing. So they're trying to figure out ways to lower tax rates overall, but get rid of some things to help pay for it. So they may have a surcharge. California has something similar already. We have an extra 1% tax and income over a million dollars. So we could see some sort of surcharge like that on millionaires or people in the top bracket. But under the, the unified framework, down to three brackets, top brackets, 35%. So that's a, a decrease for people in the top bracket. All right. And for most people. Yeah. Keep unpacking um, it, dude. What else we got here? Got a few more on the individual side. Then we'll get to corporate. <laughs> They were going to get rid of the personal exemptions like I talked about, but they also plan to significantly expand the child tax credit. So the theory here is that family of four that loses the personal exemptions, they get some back on the child tax credit in terms of potentially a larger credit and the phase out range where you start to lose the credit, raising those income thresholds so more people actually get the benefit of the child tax credit. One thing I've always thought kind of unfair about the tax code we have now is that it's not indexed by like geographic location, right? And we're in Silicon Valley, which is a very high cost of living area. So salaries are higher and all the gross salary, you know, income figures are going to be higher than somewhere else in the country and it put it phases you out of all these benefits and brackets but when the cost of living is that much higher you're not necessarily that much better off than someone in a low cost area you just kind of get screwed in all the tax stuff you know sure so they're planning on raising the thresholds a little bit but again they haven't released the actual phase out ranges or anything so we don't have any of that details yet but they want to raise some of that so more people get the benefit of the child tax credit they also want to add a 500 credit for non-child dependents so if you're caring for like an elderly parent or something and you're paying for all of their cost of living and you're claiming that as a dependent on your return, you won't get the exemption anymore, but you will get a $500 non-refundable credit to help offset that cost. You know, when you're paying grandma's nursing home care 80 grand a year, 500 bucks isn't going to do a whole lot, but it'll be 
better than nothing. So a $500 credit for non-child dependents. Now, the next thing is probably one of the biggest things about the tax reform change. And they've said this the entire time, both the House Republicans and Trump, they want to repeal the alternative minimum tax, the AMT. The AMT is extremely complicated. It confuses clients. It confuses CPAs all the time. You basically have to calculate your income taxes twice, once under regular tax, once under the alternative minimum tax, and then you end up paying the higher of the two. So each item of income you go through, you say, is that taxable for regular tax? Yes or no. Is it taxable for AMT? Yes or no. Same thing for all the deductions. You get to the net taxable income for regular tax versus AMT. You apply the different exemption to each one. You apply the tax rate for each one. Then you end up paying whichever one's higher. They should call it the alternative maximum tax. I don't know why they don't call it the alternative (laughs) minimum tax. But uh, they want to repeal that. Now, that's a big change. Impacts a lot of people. But it also leaves a lot of questions unanswered. You know, we have a lot of clients here in Silicon Valley that have stock options. Certain kinds of stock options, when you buy and hold them, you trigger tax for AMT, but not for regular tax. What's going to happen to those? We don't know. Is it going to be an opportunity to purchase those shares now on the cheap without that tax cost up front that was prohibitive in the past? Maybe. That'd be a, a huge boon. And maybe that's a planning opportunity for our clients is now exercise some of those shares that we couldn't before because of that potential tax hit. What's going to happen to clients that have a credit carry forward for prior AMT paid? We don't know. But there's a lot of unanswered questions, like I said, but that's a big deal. Repeal the AMT is a huge deal. It would be great for a lot of people. A lot of people don't get a lot of benefit now for certain deductions or they paid a lot of tax in the past on AMT and have big credit carry forwards they can't use because they're still on AMT. Repeal would be big. So okay. no details again, but sounds good on the surface. Okay. Now to help support pay for some of the tax reform. They got to get rid of some stuff. The proposal talks about elimination of most itemized deductions, except for charity and mortgage interest. Now, clearly the, the real estate lobby is strong in Washington. So the mortgage interest deduction is pretty safe. A charitable deduction makes a lot of sense from a overall public welfare standpoint to keep that there and a lot of people deductions for charity. So they're going to keep those two, but they're planning on getting rid of most of the other itemized deductions. One of the big ones that's a hot topic is the state and local income tax deduction. Again, bigger deal for people that live in states like California or New York or you know high income tax states where they pay a lot of state income tax. Currently, you can deduct that on your federal return when you pay it. Under this proposal, you wouldn't be able to deduct that anymore. So some people may be losing out on some deductions that live in those high income states. Not really fair to the people in those states compared to the people that are like in a no income tax state, for instance. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Trump, I've heard, is wants to keep that deduction in there and has been lobbying for it. But in the framework, they talked about getting rid of it in that document, the unified framework. They want they had left a sentence in there about retention of benefits that support and encourage work, higher education and retirement security. I believe what they're getting at there is that things like your 401k deduction are going to be safe and continue. Things like the American Opportunity Credit for tuition paid for, you know, college age dependents, higher education, those kind of credits will stay there and make probably some things like the earned income tax credit and a few other ones they want to keep. So that was a kind of a vague statement they put in there, but I think it's their intention to keep a lot of those same tax benefits they have now in the tax code that 
benefit a lot of people that are very popular. So, you know, people don't want to lose their retirement deduction. They don't want to lose their tuition and fees deduction or their credit. So those things should be staying in the tax reform. Oh. And I think that is most of the individual stuff. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Wow. That that was a lot of stuff, Matt. Goodness gracious. And this is not set in stone, right? This is still some conjecture. Is that correct? Yes, not set in stone. And we're, we didn't even get into details. We're just talking on the surface. But these, wow. are, these are some major changes. That's why I said it's the biggest change in over 30 years to the yeah. tax code. All right. Are we ready for corporate? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So the corporate stuff is one of the areas that seems like it may be a little more likely to actually get passed before the end of the year since it's a little less controversial. Things more supported across both sides of the aisle. Uh, there's a few things. One, they want to decrease the the corporate income tax rate down to about 20%. They've thrown out various numbers in the past in their proposals. It was as low as 15% at one time. They did say 225 at one time. The unified framework document says down to 20%. They may be just starting that as a negotiating point and see where they end up. But 20% would put the United States very competitive with the rest of the world as far as corporate income tax rates worldwide. So that's one of their goals. Right now, we have one of the higher corporate income tax rates. And you see a lot of these major corporations that keep a lot of their earnings offshore to you know, avoid that high U.S. tax rate. They want to make America more competitive. That's one of the key principles of the document, and that's why they're bringing the corporate rate down to 20%. For small business owners, you and me and a lot of our clients, a lot of us use what's called pass-through entities. So you're either a sole proprietorship or an S-corporation, or you're like a partnership, like an LLC. And those entities, you pay all the tax on your income down at the individual tax level. There's no second layer of tax. There's no corporate tax level. Those entities got very popular over the last 15, 20 years. We may end up seeing some sort of reversal on that with the corporate going down so much back to seeing more people do regular traditional corporations. But one of the things they proposed in the tax reform is to have a lower special pass-through rate for that kind of income where it's taxed at a maximum 25% rate. So, I mean, you think about it, you have individual tax rate capped at 35% under the, the unified framework. And here they're saying pass-through income is taxed only at 25%. That's going to be a benefit for small business owners. Now, they're also aware of the inherent potential for a loophole there that people are going to try and take advantage of. And they've only just made some generalized statements, but they basically have said that they're going to put in provisions that uh, don't permit any abuse or don't let rich people basically just put everything in a pass-through entity to get the reduced tax rate. So there's probably going to be some sort of anti-tax avoidance measures in there. It's, it's kind of, That kind of stuff is common in the tax code elsewhere. Uh, they're going to try and find a way to make sure people can't take advantage. But for a legitimate small business running as a pass-through entity, you may see a lower 25% rate instead of what you're paying now, which hmm. is your individual tax rate. And if you're in the top bracket, you're paying 39.6. So going down to 25% on your business income would be a big, big deal. Now, I also read that the Treasury Secretary made a comment that professionals like attorneys and accountants and architects wouldn't get the lower rate, which I think is a bunch of BS. But, uh, you know, we'll see how they how they put that part in the tax code. So they haven't specified whether certain types of businesses will be excluded or not, but they will have a lower pass-through rate in theory on pass-throughs. Okay. This, one of the criticisms of that thing, which is kind of a recent thing, is a couple of years ago, like maybe three or four years ago, Kansas, the state of Kansas, did a similar provision where they actually taxed pass-through income at a 0% rate, tax-free. And they they you know were led to believe it caused this big boom in business in the state and eventually the higher revenues. Well, their income tax revenue dropped substantially after they put that in place because obviously now these people aren't paying any income tax on their pass-through income. So a lot of critics of the tax reform proposals have pointed to that saying, you know, this pass-through thing's not going to work. we got 
to rethink it. So the the pass-through rate being lower may or may not happen, but you know they want to make smaller businesses competitive, and if they're going to lower the corporate rate to 20%, they got to do something to offset. Otherwise, what are we going to do? I'm having all my clients such as C-corporations because they're going to pay 20% tax rate instead of a 35 sure. or 39.6, right? Other things in corporate reform, they want to get rid of the corporate AMT. It's the same principle as the individual AMT. It applies much less often, but it does apply in certain circumstances. It can kind of be unfair sometimes where you're paying corporate AMT even though you've had prior losses and you now have a profit. It makes you pay a little bit of tax on your current profit even though you just – you know, I've had losses since inception, that kind of stuff. So it's not, it's the same kind of thing as the individual AMT where it's, it was designed to permit people from gaming the system, I guess, or not permitting in the system, but it doesn't really work as intended. They want to repeal the corporate AMT. I think it's a good move. It's, you know, stupid. AMT stinks. Just being honest. Yeah. One of the big changes they want to do immediate write off or expensing of new fixed assets, basically anything other than like structures like real estate. So that's a big proposal that would really impact capital intensive businesses. We have some clients like machine shops, for instance, where they're buying like a couple hundred grand pieces of equipment each one, or, you know, you're buying like big, you know, gigantic trucks for your business or whatever. That stuff under this new proposal, you'd write it all off in full in the year you bought it. That'd be a big change. There's a lot of actual tax data that backs up that being an actual boost of the economy. It does favor the capital intensive businesses more than like a service business, you know, an accounting firm only by here is like computers and desks and stuff, right? So we don't buy a lot of stuff that we're going to write off right away. But for those businesses that do invest a lot in heavy machinery and equipment, that's a big deal. Restaurants too, probably that kind of stuff where they're buying a lot of appliances, those kind of things up front when they form it. Big write off in the beginning, big opportunity could be a big deal. So that'll be really exciting. Some of the other corporate things I talked about, Again, they got to help pay for it, so they want to get rid of some things. These mostly affect larger corporations, but they want to limit the interest deduction for regular corporations. Basically, what you're seeing now is a lot of the major multinational corporations fund a lot of their entities with debt. So they can take the interest payments, deduct it on the U.S. side, and the interest income is tax-free out of the country. It's a way for them to kind of suck money out of the U.S. economy, essentially. And uh, you know they want to close some of those loopholes or make financing, funding a business with debt instead of capital be less attractive. So they want to limit the interest deduction. Uh, they're going to get rid of a bunch of special exclusions and deductions that want to repeal. There's one called the Domestic Production Activities Deduction. It's deduction for like manufacturers. Uh, there's a few others that are kind of like really specialized. They want to get rid of those. Again, that stuff that makes the tax code complex and convoluted, and they want to make it simpler, right? Mm -hmm. They are going to keep a couple specifically named. The R&D credit is a very popular one, especially, again, our clients here in Silicon Valley. They use R&D credit quite often, and it's now actually refundable against payroll taxes. So it's a a pretty good credit, even for a business that's not generating any current income. Uh, They also want to keep the low-income housing credit. It's another very popular one. So those two they named specifically are going to actually stay in there unified framework but again nothing's done Hmm. now this last piece here one of the things that was very popular in the campaign republicans democrats independents every candidate they wanted to eliminate this tax loophole called carried interest that hedge fund managers and like vcs use basically they were only paying tax at like long-term capital gain rates on all of their income or huge chunks of their income instead of ordinary income like you know regular folk now, in the unified framework, all of a sudden, there's no mention of elimination elimination of the carried interest loophole. So hmm. that's kind of interesting. Maybe they got a strong lobby. I don't know. But it's kind of not there anymore. And it's they're silent on it. I think uh, you know they missed a cut a deal or something. Who knows? But it's not there anymore. That's kind of a, a notable thing that's missing from the, the unified framework. Last thing on corporate business tax reform 
has to do with international stuff. They want to end rules that allow you to defer your income tax on offshore earnings. Uh, the U.S. basically taxes you on your worldwide earnings, but if you do it through a bunch of subsidiaries, you don't have to pay tax on it until you bring the money back and repatriate it. They want to do what's called a deemed repatriation one time, basically taxing you on all your offshore earnings, whether you take it back or not. Hmm. There'd be two different tax rates, one on what you're just holding offshore in cash versus one you've already like reinvested in fixed assets or businesses or something else. But the point is they want to tax it all now, and there's nothing to stop you from bringing it back. And actually, there's incentive to do so again. So okay. that's one of the big things where they want to get all that money back into the United States. And this would be a big thing. Again, it's really going to only affect the gigantic multinational corporations and stuff. Not so much our, our clients, but it's still it's a pretty big change. All right. You want to do estate tax reform now? <laughs> I'm a little overwhelmed personally, but this is starting to make more and more sense. I understand uh, some of the philosophical foundations on why they want to make some of these changes. And I think you've done a good job of kind of sprinkling that in here on the why. So, Matt, that's something that I think a lot of people don't pay much attention to or get explained that. And I think you're doing a great job of explaining the why behind that. So, yeah, let's talk about the estate tax reform. So we've talked about individual. We've talked about corporate. Now we're going to talk about estate. And then then I'm assuming we're wrapping up today's podcast on this uh, this new thing? That's right. All right, bring it on. Let's go to estate. All right, estate tax reform. They want to eliminate the estate tax. This has been a thing that Republicans have been hammering constantly for years. They call it the death tax. Mm-hmm. They want to get rid of it. So they want to eliminate it forever until the next major election when everything changes again. So <laughs> that's my prediction. Yeah. But, you know, they, they want to repeal the estate tax. Now, they want to repeal it, but the way the estate tax works now is when you die, everything in your estate is valued and then subject to estate tax. You only pay estate tax on the currently, if you're a married couple, on the size of your estate over roughly $10, $11 billion, okay? So okay. it only affects wealthy people currently, and a very small, small minority of taxpayers overall in the country. So why it has such broad popular support kind of boggles my mind because you know the vast majority of people aren't subject to it anyway, but that's the way it works now. Now, when all your assets are subject to estate tax, they all get what's called a step up or step down to the fair market value for their cost basis for income tax purposes. So if you have a house, you bought it for $100,000 40 years ago. When you die, it's worth a million and a half dollars. It's subject to estate tax at a million and a half dollars. Whether you pay estate tax or not, if you're over under threshold, doesn't matter. It's re- revalued basically for income tax purposes, for cost basis at that date of death value. So now for income tax purposes, your cost basis is one and a half million dollars in that house. If your surviving spouse or your children or whoever inherited the property sold it the next day and they sold it for a million and a half dollars, they pay zero income tax, right? Because it's been revalued for income tax purposes to the date of death value for cost basis. Okay. Hmm. So that's one of the benefits for a lot of people actually when uh, they inherit property is it gets a step up in basis. It can be a step down too. If the cost basis originally was more than what the current value is, it gets a step down to the market value. But the point is it gets reset. Most people don't have that taxable estate. They're under $10, $11 million, but they still get the step up anyway. So they inherit all these assets basically income tax free and they can turn around and sell them right away. So inheritances usually aren't taxable at all. We get that question all the time. I'm going to get taxed on this inheritance. The answer typically is no. If it's like a retirement account, it's a pre-tax retirement account. Yes, you're going to get taxed on that. Someone has to get taxed on it because no one ever was. But for most assets, cash, stocks, 
real estate, whatever, no income tax on inheritance, right? And you get a step up in basis so you can turn around and sell it right away, pay no tax. If they get rid of the estate tax, there's no way they're going to still permit a step up on the income tax basis to everything. So they floated around a few things, basically kind of using that same $10, $11 million threshold for a married couple where they'd allow a step up in basis for income tax up to that amount of estate value roughly, but beyond that, you wouldn't get it. So they're kind of just replacing the estate tax with an income tax now. And then they haven't really specified, are they going to do an income tax just at death based on the values then and then give you time to pay it whether you sell or not? Or are they really going to do a carryover basis and you got to track what the basis is onto the next beneficiaries? There's complications with each, right? If you do the carryover basis regime, that's difficult. If you inherit grandpa's stock that he got from his dad, I mean, who knows what they paid for it, right? They could have bought it for like, you know, three cents on the market back in 1941 or whatever. You know, I mean, you have no way of knowing what the cost basis is. It's hard enough to find stuff that's 10 years ago, let alone stuff that's 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So the carryover basis regime is very difficult from a practical standpoint to have that be policy. Now, the other option is, are they just going to tax everything for capital gain purposes at death and then make you pay it over time? That one may have some traction. Canada actually has that system and has had it for like 35 years, apparently. I'm not a Canadian expert, but that's what I was reading. So if they make it work, other people can make it work, too. So there may be some sort of replacement with the estate tax with a capital gains tax instead. So Hmm. while they're talking about repeal of estate tax, it doesn't necessarily mean things are going to change. What it does mean is estate and trust lawyers are going to be very busy still. You're going to have to draft your estate and trust documents for either of these scenarios and leave the language open. You're probably going to have to update it again once the stuff is finalized. You're going to update it again once they change it back to an estate tax if they do that. I mean, it's going to make things complicated again. Probably a lot of planning opportunities. You know, what they haven't talked about is what they're going to do about the gift tax or the generation skipping tax. Um, But there may be some tremendous gifting opportunities over these next few years here if they do repeal the estate tax and they maybe repeal the gift tax, too. You could see a lot of massive wealth transfer down a generation or two, especially for the really wealthy folks, because if you can take advantage of it right now, why not? All that future appreciation when you make a gift is outside of your estate. Yeah. So now you've basically deferred tax on that for you know, who knows how long, 40, 50, 60 plus years. That's how dynasties are created, you know? So Mm -hmm. it could be a big deal and and we'll know more on that hopefully pretty soon. But again, just because they're getting rid of estate tax doesn't necessarily mean they're getting rid of tax at death completely. They're probably going to find a way, you know, they got to raise some money. Sure. Another interesting thing that I read is that to get a full repeal done forever, I believe requires the 60 Senate votes, which they've had a really hard time getting Republicans for anything that couldn't repeal the Obamacare. Obviously, they're trying to do the same stuff for the tax reform. But if they, I guess, run it through the budget reconciliation process where they have revenue raisers to offset or something, they only need a simple majority to pass. Hmm. But then they only have a 10-year time horizon. So they'd be kind of like a a sunset or they call it a sunrise of the estate tax back so we may just see something where it's like a 10-year period of repeal that seems much more likely actually and i thought that was pretty interesting where you're going to have this fixed time frame we had a similar thing when bush did his tax cuts in the early 2000s there was a sunset of the lower tax rates and then obama allowed them to come back the higher tax rates during his presidency we may see something like that again where the state tax is gone for 10 years we see this kind of period where maybe we have some gifting opportunities but then you know comes back after a 10-year period and, and sun rises again. So the estate tax thing could be a big deal. Hope to know more soon, but it is a something you should be thinking about and kind of keep an eye on. So, you know, all these 
things we talked about today, reach out to your accountant at our firm. You know, use the Ask Wheeler tool online if you got questions about anything specific. We're monitoring the situation as it you know develops, basically, as we get the news. As soon as we know what if there is an actual package that's passed into law, we're going to let our clients know and send out an alert. But these things could affect a lot of our clients, or they will affect a lot of our clients, and you want to try and be proactive about it. And there's probably going to be a lot of stuff before the end of this year, depending on what happens, that we may be able to do to help save on tax. Trump said he wants the tax reform to be retroactive January 1st, which would be a big deal if it was retroactive back to January 1st, 2017. A lot of clients that already had big liquidity events or something could be impacted by that in a positive mm-hmm. way with lower taxes, but it may not be. It may, may be effective one one eighteen. you know? Who knows? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I did a presentation for this marketing group last week, and my last slide was, I have no idea what's really going to happen. And that's basically the, the truth, is we, we have no idea what's going to happen. It's all talk. It's you know not a lot of details, but there have been a little more. This unified framework released a couple weeks ago. Uh, we are getting a little closer. Congress is under pressure to have something happen before the end of the year. I think politically, the Republicans and Trump want to get some sort of win, whether it's you know symbolic or not, done before the end of the year sure. and try and pass at least something. Corporate reform might be the part that is the symbolic win before the end of the year, and maybe not individual, but uh, something may happen. So you know, it's timely. Thought we should talk about it today's podcast and. Pretty much all I got on this one, I think. Well, and if you do have questions, use that Ask Wheeler tool. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, make sure you click below and subscribe because this is not the only time we're going to be talking to Matt and his team about this. Because as things continue to roll out, one of the great things about working with Wheeler is they are on top of all of this. In fact, I'm sure there aren't very many accountants, CPAs out right now who are talking about this because it's not formalized and it's not finished, but I think a good accountant is one that will talk to you specifically about what could be happening so that you guys can plan for contingencies. Is that a fair statement? I think so. All right, brother. All right. Well, uh, make sure you subscribe and check them out at, uh, what's the website again? It's uh, www.wheelercpa.com. Wheelercpa.com. And with that, this was episode 18 with Matt Wheeler. Tax reform. What the hell is going on? Thank you very much and stay tuned. We'll be back with some more great stuff very soon.